Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome one and all to Storybox, the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning, growth, anyone to improve your life. My name is Jay Phantom and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I am truly grateful that you have decided to listen in today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. to fat to fit fit to fat to fit fit to fat to fit say that uh, 10 times i guarantee you're going to stuff it up once but today my friends i have a very special episode for you uh with the legendary new york times best-selling author of fit to fat to fit drew manning now if you don't know who this legendary expert is you're about to find out because this guy does some crazy crazy stuff with his his weight and he does it with a specific purpose, okay? So he learned the unexpected lessons from gaining and losing 75 pounds on purpose, and he has for years been a leading voice in the keto diet movement. Drew Manning is also the director of A&E Show, Fit to Fat to Fit, and the host of the Fit to Fat to Fit Experience podcast, over a million social media followers, and Drew continues to transform people's lives around the world. Known for his straightforward and empathetic fitness and health coaching, Uh, Drew has been featured on the Dr. Oz uh, show, CNN, Good Morning America, The Tonight Show, The View, MSNBC, among many, many other outlets. He lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, with his two daughters, who remind him every day not to take things too seriously. And when we did this conversation, Drew was actually in the middle of doing his second fit to fat to fit to fat to fit (laughs) experience uh, once again. And it's such a fascinating story going to the very back of why he decided to gain all that weight in the first place, then go through the process of losing it. Now, once again, actually gaining more weight this time plus losing it and you're going to hear about the uh, the side effects of gaining so much weight, what that does to your overall health, your mental health as well, and why he's actually doing it for a second time. So it's a fascinating conversation that I know you guys are going to get a lot out of. There's so much more in this episode as well that is fun. It's funny. It's, uh, it's just a lot of life to it. So 
Uh, with that all being said, my friends, please, please, for this one, especially share it around to your friends and your family. Let them know about this one. If you do know somebody that does want to get their health back on track, then send them this episode too. It is, it's got a lot of information in there about health, diets, you name it, the whole thing. It's in here. Uh, but also get the right mindset when it comes to training in the first place and, and you're finding your purpose in, in all that too. So uh, if you can, if you do love this episode, leave a five-star rating review over on Apple Podcast. Hit that subscribe button too. Uh, help to, to build this amazing community of, of the Storybox and um, just spread the, the word around to as many people as you possibly can. So let's get fit to fat to fit, back to fit to fat to fit, <laughs> if I said that correctly, and dive into the Storybox and hear the incredible journey and stories of Drew Manning. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, man. <laughs> Dude, it's a real honor. Fit to fat to fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you said so many times, it's like, it's so cool. But it's yeah. an honor to have you here, dude. Um, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. Before we dive into your backstory, how you got started doing all this sort of amazing stuff, I have one question that I love asking all my guests, which is, what does success look like to you? Yeah, for me, it's it's evolved over the years. You know, back in the day, it was all about money and fame and houses and, you know, all that that material stuff. For me, success is being able to wake up every morning, uh, being able to, you know, pay your bills and have, you know, obviously some money for, to do whatever you want with. But also more than that, it's about doing something every day that brings you fulfillment. So um, I am so blessed to own a business where I get to get up every single day and do something that brings me true fulfillment. And yes, I'm able to pay the bills with that. So I don't, it never feels like a job. It never feels like a, a chore that I have to do. And for me, that is success. Like being able to wake up, do something that brings you fulfillment and still being able to, you know, pay for things, doing fun stuff with my daughters and, and, and feeding us and being able to travel every once in a while. Like that for me is success. When was the moment in your life that you sort of realized, okay, this is success for me. It's really fulfillment, doing the things that I love. Was it a gradual thing over time or was there a catalyst moment? It was, I would say, more of a gradual thing over time. There's been moments where, you know, like I'm chilling on the beach in Hawaii, the sun is setting and I'm just like truly present and I'm just breathing and enjoying every single second of the sunset. And I have my two daughters with me and like, that right there is like, man, I'm so blessed. I'm so lucky. So I've had moments like that, but it is kind of a gradual thing because still, even though I get to wake up every day and I'm grateful for what I do, there's still stress. Like there's still <laughs> things that I have to deal with and business stuff and, you know, social media. And there's, there's moments where I get caught in the rat race of like, okay, I have to do this versus I get to do this. Right. Every day is a constant battle. And, and it's good to have that reminder because if you live too far in one zone of like, peace, tranquility, happiness, success, then there's no growth, right? Versus mm -hmm. turmoil, uh, chaos, you know, hitting rock bottom, like those kinds of things are where you grow. So you need to have a balance of that. Um, and so anyways, that's why it's always going to be a continual progression. Have you ever hit rock bottom before? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And that was probably one of the most a moment, one of those moments where I'm the most grateful for because I learned so much about who I was from that moment of hitting rock bottom that I wouldn't be who I am today or where I am today had I not had that moment. 
Are you able to share with us that experience, what actually happened in order leading you to rock bottom? Yeah, for sure. So it was about six years ago, um, went through a divorce, you know, I was married for 10 years, had two uh, kids with my ex-wife and also at the same time was uh, leaving my religion. So I grew up in a certain religion, very strict, uh, you know, was, was in it 100%. It was everything to me and slowly transitioned out of that, but also transitioning out of my marriage at the same time, really just, man, yeah, those are two big things that form your identity, you know? And so like the first 30 plus years of my life, those two things were huge parts of my life, right? Up until that point. And without those things, it's like, okay, who am I without those two things to those two defining moments? Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm super grateful for those two things because then it was like, all right, I can stay stuck here and play the victim card of like, you know, why me, you know, why did I have to be here? And why did this happen? Why did that happen? Or I could pull myself out of it and look at that as happening for me instead of happening to me. Does that make sense? It does make sense. How long did it actually take you to realize that? Oh, a good, probably three, three and a half years of therapy, life coaching, books, podcasts, meditations, uh, a gratitude journal, all kinds of things to pull me out of that, 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 that headspace and being stuck in rock bottom. So was, what was the, I'm curious, what was the religion that you were part of that formed this part of your identity growing up? Yeah. So I grew up in the Mormon religion or it's also called the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. I was in that until, yeah, probably about four or five years ago is when I left. So has that sort of like right now, like going back to the belief system, have you formed new beliefs um, right now or have you still hold, held on to, in a way, held on to you some of those old beliefs? There's there's some cultural aspects that I still hold on to, you know, that growing up with good morals, good values, there's still good things that I take from that and have kind of shaped who I am today for sure. Mm. But uh, there's a lot of things that I don't agree with anymore. And it's been interesting going through that self-discovery process after hitting rock bottom. It's like my whole life, this has been fed to me as far as what is true mm-hmm. and, you know, all the answers, you know, all, all the questions had answers, right? So I knew everything. Now, leaving that, it's like, okay, what do I know? I don't know anything. <laughs> and it's kind of scary in the beginning, but also super freeing because then it's like, okay, now I get to discover what feels right to me, what feels good to me. So yeah, coming up with some new um, belief, a belief system that feels right to me because not because someone's telling me that's what God wants or that's what God is expecting of me. I now I can go off of my heart and my gut of what feels right in my heart. And yeah, so I've had to develop a new belief system moving forward that feels right to me, which is my truth, but it's an ever evolving thing because Uh experiences shape our beliefs and that's why experiences are so powerful. And so I'm totally open to being wrong because 10 years from now, I could look, I could look back on now and say, man, I thought I had it figured out. And then this experience happened and then that experience happened and that caused me to think this way. So I'm totally open to being reshaped and reformed based off new experiences, if there's something else I need to learn. Because 10 years ago, looking back now, I was like, man, I never thought I'd be who I am today or where I was today. So a lot can happen in in 10 years. Is there a question that you continue to ask yourself today that you haven't been able to answer yet? Yes, but for me, it's not about having an answer anymore. It's not about having the answers. Like there is something super freeing about saying, look, I don't know. Like what happens after this life? 
I don't know. Like before, I I knew 100% what would happen, but now that I've left that that way of thinking, I can honestly say I really don't know. I have hope for what I would like to see happen, but do I know? No. But it's also very freeing to say I don't know because I think it's part of our ego. It feeds our ego when we are told when we think that we have the answers of like, yes, I'm sure of this. Like I know that this will happen. It's kind of like a egotistical thing where we feel like we have to have that answer. Otherwise there's a void for a lot of us and we can't deal with the unknown as mm-hmm. humans sometimes. And so, yeah, um, that, that's been a um, part of the, the learning process as well. I like that, man. Uh, good, good answer. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I, w- I wanted to ask you like um, going back to sort of how you grew up um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to go into the fitness field or what were some of the things you aspired to be? Good question. I've always wanted to be fit, like in shape because my older brothers played football and they wrestled. And I remember seeing them and their friends and they'd work out and they would have muscles because they were older and, you know, had already hit puberty. And I was like this young kid. So I knew that's what I wanted to do something along those lines. But to be honest with you, I didn't have a desire to do anything beyond that. There was a moment where I was really good in, uh, high school sports. And I thought, all right, I'm going to the NFL, you know, <laughs> national football league to play, uh, American football and professionally. But, um, you know, that I knew that that was slim chances, of course. And then from there, I was just kind of like a leaf blowing in the wind, whatever direction I got pulled in. So I started out with college mechanical, mechanical engineering, then went into finance and got a, you know, financial analyst position. But then here I am in the fitness industry, which is something that's always been a part of my life. Like I said, since I was a kid, but I never knew how to make a career out of it up until recently with fit to fat to fit. <laughs> and um, how did that really come about the fit to fat to fit? What, what, what sparked it? Yeah. So, you know, I grew up playing sports, football and wrestling, like I said, and so I've always been in shape. And so in 2009, I decided to become a personal trainer. And so here I was someone who had never been overweight a day in my life, trying to help people who were, overweight pretty much every day of their life. And so there was an obvious disconnect. I couldn't understand why it was so hard for them just to do (laughs) my program. Like, Hey, here's the meal plans. Here's the workouts. It's pretty simple. You just do it and then you'll get results. And they would struggle to stay consistent. You know, they would struggle like, you know, not cheating on their meal plan or going to the gym every single day because stress or whatever would happen. And one of my clients told me, you know, Drew, you don't understand what it's like for you. It's easy, but for me and for people like me, it's really hard. And so um, that's where the genesis of the fit to fit idea came from was me kind of questioning, okay, maybe there's something I need to do to gain a better understanding. And then boom, this thought entered my mind. What if you got fat on purpose and documented it? You know, maybe that would give you better understanding. And to make a long story short, that's what I did. <laughs> you know, I did fit to fat to fit just like it sounds literally uh, six months. I gained 75 pounds. So I let myself go completely. You know, I didn't work out once ate a standard American diet, put on 75 pounds pretty quickly, actually. And, and then luckily got back to fit. And that's where this whole brand, this whole movement uh, was created. How hard? (laughs) This is from somebody that, okay, I've been skinny Uh, all my life. I've been in shape all my life, not being able to work out for a day. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what was that experience like? Mm. It was it was one of the hardest things I've ever been through, to be honest with you, but it was very humbling because it taught me a lot because back then, my identity was based on my body image. So my self-image was my body image. And 
I didn't know how to separate those two things. And so me getting overweight finally forced me to separate those two things because at first I freaked out. Like I was so self-conscious, so uncomfortable being overweight. I wanted to go up to strangers and explain to them like, hey, I'm not really overweight. This is just an experiment. Like this is what I normally look like and show them a before picture, have them go to my website so that they knew that I wasn't normally this overweight guy. And man, that was really, really hard for me to go through that because like I said, my whole life, I was the fit guy. Mm. And so to separate myself from that was very humbling. But then that whole journey, the biggest takeaway I learned was just how much of transformation is mental and emotional. And it's so overlooked in the fitness industry. It's all about calories and macros and diets and workouts and supplements and how to get skinny and how to get a six pack. Like that's all it's about when in reality to achieve that, there's a huge mindset shift. There's a huge emotional and mental, you know, trauma or challenges that need to be overcome first before you can achieve that. But if people think, oh, if I just take this pill, if I just do this diet, I'll get skinny, then all my problems will go away and then I'll be happy. What were some of the things that sort of helped you overcome that mental barrier, that mental block? Yeah, sorry, which mental block? The, as uh, far as not being able to exercise, you know. Oh, the, okay. All that stuff. Yeah. Of, <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, like, so normally working out is my therapy. That's my stress reliever, it's my outlet, mm-hmm. right? So not having that, I had to develop a new one. And that came from food, which is kind of what happens for a lot of people that become overweight is that is the vicious cycle where people kind of go and numb themselves or distract themselves with food, just like I was doing with, um, just like I was doing with exercise, uh, which is probably a healthier, you know, distraction to numb yourself. Uh, But that kind of became my, my escape, if you will, where I would escape for a second, eating lots of good food and then feel miserable But then for some reason, my body would go back to wanting and craving that same food that just made me feel miserable. It would make me feel good temporarily (laughs) and then just repeat for six months straight. Wow. (laughs) So what were some of the foods? (laughs) Okay, so the average American diet for the Australians that are listening, for those people that don't actually know, what does that entail? Oh, man, Uh, so much food. And I I have a lot of Australian friends and they've never heard of some of this food. So I'll try and be as descriptive as possible. So a lot of American processed food is very, you know, a lot of refined sugars, processed carbohydrates, things that are marketed to us as health food that isn't the healthiest stuff. So it's things that are very cheap and affordable, very convenient. So warm it up in the microwave or add milk to it, or it's ready to go right out of the package. Um, And it tastes freaking good. Like they're designed to be hyper palatable, to become addictive so that Americans go back to eating it. And like I said, it's cheap and affordable, cheaper than real food. So people are like, oh, I could spend $10 on a salad or spend $5 on this uh, hamburger, French fries and milkshake. Oh, I'll go for that. That's way more filling than a salad, right? <laughs> and so yeah. that's the uphill battle. So lots of like sugary cereals, white bread, white pasta, juices, granola bars, chips, cookies, crackers, um, you know, we have these things called hot pockets, which are like these little fried uh, or like these little tortilla. I don't know what to call them, but they're they're just, yeah, yeah it's like bread, toasted bread with on the inside, like cheese and, and meat. Um, there's all kinds of like uh, mac and cheese, you know, there's top ramen, um, canned like SpaghettiOs, which are <laughs> these like little, little pasta stuff in like this pasta sauce and can. And it's just all these cheap processed foods that I'll be honest with you, they taste good, like soda is delicious, you know, <laughs> uh, sugary cereal, like every American kid in the eight seventies and eighties was marketed 
these sugary cereals, you know, like uh, we have a, a very popular ones here, cinnamon toast crunch, cap crunch, you know, lucky charms, like <laughs> those kinds of foods. You're making me hungry. Just thinking about all that <laughs> stuff, man. Like, of course, of course. <laughs> what, what did you, what did you find was happening to your body as you were eating all these processed foods and why shouldn't we always have all these processed foods? I feel like we, we hear a lot about it, but then we yeah. struggle to not eat it in the first place. So what, yeah. what did you notice? Like when you started eating this, just give people a reality check. Yeah, <laughs> man, it became really, and I wasn't really aware of it at the time until I switched over back to eating healthy again. But those foods were way more addictive than I thought they would be. Cause I used to think, mm -hmm. Oh, there's no such thing as food addiction. People just, um, you know, people just are, have no willpower. They just don't have any discipline. Like, and then for me, when I ate that for six months and then went to eating healthy food again, it was so crazy how strongly my body fought back against me to craving those foods, even though I was a, a, a you know, personal trainer, a health professional, a proponent of being healthy, it sucked <laughs> those first two weeks because my body was going through these withdrawal symptoms that were super strong. And that's where it clicked for me. That's where I remember my clients telling me how hard it was for them to stay consistent with these, you know, with trying to eat healthy food because I didn't realize that their bodies are, it's almost like being addicted to a drug, right? And you try to get someone off drugs, you take away the drug, there's a rough transition period. It's not like all of a sudden <laughs> they feel great the next day. Their body wants the high that it's got from those, those drugs or food for so long. And now they're just trying to willpower their way through it. It's freaking hard. And mm -hmm. so that's where I just started to develop empathy for people who struggle with food addiction. Because like we were talking about, it's very similar to how I distracted myself with a substance known as exercise. Other people use food, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, uh, social media, TV, movies, books, all kinds of distractions to numb ourselves from the pain that we feel from trauma or stress or challenges in life. And that's kind of what we've been programmed to do since we were a young age, where maybe someone teased us, or maybe we're abused, or maybe something really bad happened, and food became our comfort. Food became that one thing that we could control that made us feel safe, that made us feel, you know, some kind of comfort. It would make you feel miserable later, right? But then you would uh, go gravitate back to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting how much of that type of transformation is mental and emotional. And that's what I'm trying to make people more aware of is like, it's not a special magical diet that's going to save you. It's not some magical pill or, or it's some new exercise that's going to give you a six pack magically. It really has to do with digging deep, finding out what those triggers are, what those emotional stresses are and learning how to let them go. Whether it's through therapy, whether it's through religion, prayer, meditation, whatever tool you use to help you release that, then you can be more at peace with finding a healthy way of eating that fits you finding a healthy way to exercise that isn't a punishment or isn't a chore, but it's something that you do because you're finally worth fighting for. You're finally worth living a healthy lifestyle. But a lot of people struggle with, you know, um, self-esteem, self-worth because of this past things we've been through. And we think that some diet or some skinnier body is going to save us. Mm. I'm going to be real with you right now. Cause mm. you're being real with me. Um, I got addicted to porn at the age of 12. And wow. that's sort of like as a 12 year old kid going through all that kind of, I guess, even before that traumatic experiences, which I won't go into, but that was sort of my, my release in a sense. Yeah. Like it was, 
me going away from all the pain that I was experiencing up until that point. I didn't know who I was. I had a lot of demons going inside me. Then I was depressed at the age of 14, had to go see counselors and all that sort of stuff uh, because of a girl, because she made me feel Mm. absolutely worthless. And then when I tried getting hold of my addiction to porn, that's when my addiction to uh, food and my, my issue when it came to my body image and um, my eating disorder came about because when I started taking away from one addiction, another one seemed to form because I didn't get my mind straight in the first place. I didn't go through the, the work and actually figuring out how can I get this right properly. No, I just went straight into one bad to the next. And because yeah. people were telling me, you know, hey, Jay, you've got a, you've got a great body, you've got an eight-pack, keep going because i got addicted mm-hmm. to exercise and that was sort of my release apart from porn, which yeah. then sparked so many other issues. And it ultimately, like I ended up breaking in a breaking point because I ended up in hospital. And people know that's mm. a story that they listen. But I spent nine days in hospital in absolute agony trying to unblock my bowel that I had destroyed. And then there were other complications from that. So I think what you're saying is 100% true that when you get your mind right first, that is the most important thing. And I think everything that you're doing right now, Drew, is sensational. I think that people should latch onto this, especially in the fitness world, because it is such a powerful drug. Exercise (laughs) is is terrible (laughs) in many ways. Yeah, yeah. It can control your life. Um, Yeah. I want to I want to ask you like internally what were you noticing about your body after you were not exercising you were uh eating all these these rubbish foods what was going on inside Yeah well first of all thank you for sharing your story I know how hard that is to be vulnerable and open and honest about things that bring a lot of men shame and guilt mm-hmm. and self-hate because the society paints us as disgusting, horrible people because we have these desires, right? And so I totally get that. Um, you know, how I felt about my body was very interesting. Last time I did it, back when I was, you know, you know, 31 years old, I was so self-conscious back then because my, like I said, my body image was my self-image. So back then I was super self-conscious, hated my body. I hated being overweight. I freaked out. I didn't like it. Now that I'm older, wiser, been through a lot of hard things in life, I have, have more life experience. I'm a lot more forgiving of myself and I have a lot more self-love because of what I've been through. Um, You know, had a similar issue with porn as well, which carries over into this whole journey as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It will, you know, we distract ourselves with different substances, like I said, but this time around, I'm not as obsessed. So like right now, I know you can't tell, but (laughs) if I took my shirt off, you would see the 43 pounds I've gained in the past two months from doing my second fit to fit experiment. And I'm not freaking out as much. Yeah, it's uncomfortable being overweight just because like even right now, it's hard to breathe. (laughs) Like I'm trying to talk fast, but I know that if I talk too fast, I'll lose my breath. So for me, it's, um, you know, I'm not as obsessed as I used to be about my body looking a certain way. So now I can go out in public and just let it be and and not care if people judge me. Um, So yeah, 10 years ago till now is a huge difference. And the biggest key is really self-awareness. And this ties into everything you were just saying. Um, self-awareness is the key to figure out what your triggers are. And from there, you get to decide what you want to do with that. But until you're self-aware, you'll just be, 
you know, running in a, a hamster wheel trying to figure out, okay, what will make me happy? Maybe drugs will make me happy. Maybe porn will make me happy. Maybe getting a six pack will make me happy. Maybe money will make me happy. And you're chasing after these external things. When in reality, if you can fix your relationship with yourself, then you can learn to be happy with who you are now, even though you're not perfect, even though your life isn't where you want to be. But that's what it's about being fulfilled now and grateful now, instead of saying, well, one day when I get this body, one day when I get this much money, then I'll love myself. Then people will respect me. Then people will love me. And then before you know it, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life have gone by with you hating yourself and being at war with yourself. And that's why self-awareness is the key to, you know, figuring yourself out like, okay, this started at age 12. And now that I'm older, I can see why I was doing it. At the time, you're kind of blind to it. You don't really know other than, you know, you're just like, well, I like it. So, uh, but now being able to be more self-aware, you can connect the dots. And then in those moments where you're feeling triggered to go towards whatever that substance is, you can then thoughtfully respond and you're in more in control versus just reacting, right? Which you normally would have done in the past. And that's progression, being self-aware. I like self-awareness. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Quite a few conversations about that, which is so valuable for people to actually listen to, especially with your story, Drew, and everything that you're doing currently. Like you've decided to go back and do this very similar journey, but then now you're more wiser. Yeah. Um, and I like how you mentioned earlier, like I'm not afraid to be vulnerable if that it helps people. Because yeah. I feel like when you are vulnerable, especially as men, there's like that toxic masculinity that comes yep. a, comes across. Like if you do look a certain way or you've got to be a certain way in order to get the girl and, you know, just, you know, look be great, um, but which I think is a total lie. Um, there's so much more to being a man than just looking a certain way. Yeah. And... I grew up in a Christian conservative Christian household, which they yeah. told me all these things were, were wrong and I should never do them. And it just made me feel like I was less of a person rather than coming alongside me and saying, Hey Jay, let me, let me help you through this. I had this fear that if I was to tell anybody what I was doing behind closed doors, then I was going to be judged and I was going to feel like less of a person and less of a man. Yeah. I think is, totally wrong that you should feel comfortable enough to be open to share things that even I know some people don't want to share but you should feel hey if your story can help somebody then why yeah. not share it it's important to share it regardless of what it is um a couple more questions for you Drew. I've, sure I've enjoyed this um <laughs> the keto diet uh, yeah. So much information about diets out there in the world currently. Um, why specifically the keto diet for those people that are wondering? Yeah, so I think it's people's perception of what keto is, first of all. So let me kind of paint a picture for first people that maybe are new to it or maybe think keto is just bacon, butter, and cheese, right, <laughs> all day long. Uh, the keto diet is actually it's a natural metabolic state that – every single person's body can enter into because that's the way we were designed. We were designed to run off of two forms of fuel, right? There's glucose, which comes from carbohydrates, and then there's ketones, which converts from fat. So you could run off of either or as a human. So if you eat a bunch of you know, uh, carbohydrates, fruits and breads, you guess what? You're gonna have energy. <laughs> but what happens if every single human runs out of food, 
do we die the next day? Is it since there's no carbs to run off of? What happens? We have this amazing backup system to be able to turn our stored body fat and convert that into an alternative fuel source for brain, muscles, and organs to function so that we could keep on living if we, if we need to. So that's how our species survived if we didn't have ketosis as a backup system uh, to be able to go you know, a week, two weeks, a month, two months, maybe more for some people without any food and still be able to survive, right? Mm. So there's two ways to get into ketosis. There's starve yourself, right? <laughs> Which is kind of probably what our ancestors did, right? They didn't purposely throw away the berries because they wanted to be in ketosis. They just ate whatever, right? But there's two ways to get into ketosis now. You starve yourself, which every single person, like I said, if every single human stopped eating today, within two or three days, we'd all be in a state of ketosis. Um, or you can eat a keto diet, which mimics fasting. It mimics what happens when you starve, but you're able to eat food. So it's a high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet that puts you into a state of ketosis because you're limiting glucose as the primary fuel source and you're forcing your body to create an alternative fuel source known as ketones, which is what's was which is what the keto diet is. Mm. I like that, man. Yeah. Good explanation. Um, my question to you is right now you're currently on your second journey of of gaining weight. Yeah. Um, if you've done it once before why in the world have you decided to do it again? And um, my next question would be, what's the worst piece of advice you've received currently on, on your journey? That's a good question. I'll have to think about that one. Okay, so why am I doing this again? So the first time I did it was truly to discover for myself what it feels like to be overweight. I've never been overweight a day in my life. I have no idea what that's like. Maybe this will give me a better understanding. And it truly was. I gained a better understanding. I gained so much more empathy for those that struggle with body weight, with transformation. And I can totally empathize with people that struggle because I understand how hard that struggle is now. Doing a second time 10 years later for me is more about it being a vehicle to get my message across, which is one of empathy. So the fitness industry, as we all know, is a very can be a very judgmental industry. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of empathy, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of judgment towards people who are larger and uh, they label people in larger bodies as lazy or less than. And um, there's a lot of, you know, misunderstanding in my opinion. And so I feel like if I could disrupt the fitness industry by bringing empathy, then that's what Fit to Fat Fit is all about. So doing it a second time is more so about my message which is the importance of having empathy in this industry and why we need to lead with empathy first because no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. And that's so true for people that we're trying to help in the fitness industry, those who have uh, you know, larger bodies and that maybe might be unhealthier. Um, they don't care how many cr credentials you have or what kind of certifications you have. People want to, f uh, want to feel truly cared about first and foremost. And I feel like Look, we've tried the diets thing. We tried the workouts, the supplements, body shaming people. Why don't we leave with empathy first? We need empathy now more than ever in 2020. And so I'm on a mission to bring empathy to the fitness industry. Uh, the second reason is because I'm turning 40, obviously, <laughs> this year. So I wanted to do it again as a 40-year-old to give that demographic some hope and let them know that, yes, it might be harder to get back in shape, but here's, here's the way that I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'll do it with you. And it will totally give you that mindset shift that we've been talking about during this, this podcast, uh, shifting your mindset so that you have a healthy relationship with yourself and your body moving forward. You're going to learn all this on my journey back to fit. So I'm inviting people to join me on the journey back to fit. As far as the worst piece of advice I've gotten, 
I can't really say I've gotten any bad advice. If there's anything that people try and tell me that's bad is, you know, maybe someone saying, Hey, don't be so authentic. Like maybe don't give all the details of your story. But for me, I've learned from experience being authentic, 100% authentic is the only way to go. So that's probably what I would say, but I don't really know if there's been one person that's given me that advice. I've actually got the same piece of advice from somebody. Oh, really? <laughs> you, don't, you don't actually expect it because what I, what I do is like what I told you, I'm not afraid to get vulnerable, but then they're like, you've got to be protective mm-hmm. of other people, but yet I'm not even yeah. sharing them in, in my story. It's just what I went through. Um, I think it's automatically like they're afraid of what others are going to think of them. So that this, I don't really care. Like I'm, I'm mindful of it, but if I, if someone is out there that needs to hear your story, Drew, or even my story, part of it, then it's okay to share it. So I, I appreciate you sharing that man for being vulnerable and, you know, sharing part of your journey. My, my final question for you, this is my all time favorite question, sure. by the way, hmm. actually two more. Um, (laughs) being able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic. (laughs) And they've shown it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Man. And it recorded everything I said. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. I guess I would want that film to be about the journey of becoming self-aware and i think what that would do in my in in my opinion and my hope would be to share that journey of me making these horrible mistakes doing stupid things but then later in life being able to connect those dots of like okay i can figure out the time why i was doing these stupid things but now that i'm older and wiser i could go back and look and say okay this is where this stemmed from this experience right here shaped my beliefs about whatever this is which caused me to act in a certain way which caused me to do stupid things. And then I learned from that. So I think it would be this journey of consistent progression and, and self-awareness as I go through life in hopes that other people can do the same thing with their brains. It's like, okay, why am I the way I am? Why do I do this? Why can't I stay consistent with a healthy lifestyle? Why can't I stop eating this food? Why can't I stop looking at porn? Like being able to go back in time, <clears throat> figure these things out, connect those dots and then think, oh, okay, I get it now. Now, in those moments of being triggered, I can now thoughtfully respond and instead of react like we've been doing our whole life. So that's kind of, I guess, what I would hope would come out of that. <laughs> can, I, um, can I leave you with a saying that I... Sure. I you mentioned consistency there for quite a bit. Um, like of mm-hmm. the interview. I have a saying, it's be persistent to remain consistent are the things that you want. Yeah. And ultimately, I believe that consistency is the flow on effect of when we are persistent. Yeah. When we push through all the barriers, the heartache, the stress, the self-doubt, the, all that stuff. When we are persistent, we truly can become consistent at all the good things in our life when we choose to be. Uh, yeah. So I thought I'd, I'd share that with you. And my Thank final you. question um, to you would be, you've eaten all this amazing food. And I'm curious, <laughs> what is the weirdest food combination you've ever tried? Okay, weirdest food combination I've ever tried. Uh, okay, hold on a second. Let me think about that. And that's during this journey, right? Like eating all these these foods? Oh, over, over time, like just in, in, oh. life, in your lifetime. 
in my lifetime? Well, uh, I lived in Brazil for two years and we had some interesting combination of animal intestines, pig intestines, and rice and beans. But recently I did a, I think I, I did a vegan cheese pizza and what did I put inside of it? I can't remember if I put like lots of meat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I literally folded the pizza in half like this and just ate it like a big, huge, (laughs) I don't know. And it wasn't the, it was like, all right. I was like, oh, this is okay. It's not the tastiest thing, but it's easier to get it down instead of one slice at a time. So (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, It's so good. Well, Drew, thank you so much, man, for your time, for your journey, okay. for your story. You're, in, you're an inspiration, man. I've been following it closely and I just had to get you on here. So thank yeah. you so much. have to have you on later on as well. Thank Dive you. further sure. into a lot of different things. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast today. Thank you for having me. I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 